I'm so glad that you're here. Well, good morning. My name is uh, Dave Davis. If you're new with us, I'm not Ray Kolbacher, the senior pastor. Uh, you'll recognize him. He has a lot less hair than I do. <laughs> but uh, this morning, we're going to talk about a controversial topic. It's controversial because I think many of us have been conditioned to believe that it's bad. But yet we want it so desperately. It's one of those things that we've been taught to think is off limits or forbidden. Certainly we shouldn't talk about it in the church. We're not supposed to really have it. Maybe it's because we think it's unattainable or something that we don't deserve. Or maybe you've had it, but somebody took it from you. This morning we're going to look at the idea of happiness. For whatever reason, we tend to be down on happiness. For many, happiness is at best something that's temporary and at worst, completely elusive. And as a result, we view happiness as overrated. The Gallup Company, which is a company that does surveys and provides statistics, did a, has done a, a large sample poll every month for a very long time, where they seek to gauge how people feel about life in general. They're trying to gauge Americans' happiness. In 2000, in the year 2000, the monthly average of people who felt unhappy in their current condition was 37%. 37% of Americans, when asked, would identify the fact that they're not as happy as they would like. So far in 2015, that same monthly average has jumped to 76%. 76% of Americans, when asked, would identify themselves as not being as happy as they would like. And I want to make the case this morning that happiness is a choice. We can either be happy or we can be unhappy. Either way, it's our choice, our decision. But we have been conditioned to think that it is not a choice. You see, we think happiness is about our circumstances. We think if I had a better job, I would be happy. Or if we think when I have kids, I'll be happy. Or, or when my kids are older, I'll be happy. Or when my kids leave the house, I'll be happy. <laughs> or maybe if I felt better, I would be happy. Whatever it is, we've been conditioned to believe that happiness is something that happens to us. That it's out of our control. In fact, sometimes we have to manufacture it, don't we? We buy it or we orchestrate, manipulate circumstances, life events to improve our chances of happiness. I grew up in California going to Disneyland. It's the happiest place on earth. It says it right on the sign. 
happiest place on earth. And I remember being so excited about taking my kids to Disneyland for the first time. I mean, Disney World is like, you know, an overglorification of the real thing, which is Disneyland in California. And we walk in the gate, and Abby, my oldest, gets sick. And I thought, you can't get sick at the happiest place on earth. But did you know there's a significant medical clinic in Disneyland? And we were there with a lot of other people who were sick at the happiest place on earth. And we spent an hour at what is arguably the most expensive medical clinic on the planet. <laughs> Before we dive into this idea of happiness too deeply, I want to take just a quick look at three things that right off the bat can just rob us of our happiness. Just three things that will just steal your happiness. The first one is unexpected suffering. Right? We're cruising through life, and something happens. We're feeling pretty good, but that extreme or uh, unsuspecting suffering shows up, and it impacts our joy. Uh, recently, I was celebrating a friend's birthday in, uh, at a restaurant in downtown Glen Ellen. And my family was out of town, and so we walked uh, to the party with some neighbors, and they stayed longer than I wanted to stay. I, I wanted to get home so I could come to church the next day. And, and so I'm walking home at night from downtown. And I texted my wife to say, hey, I'm, I'm on my way home. I'll call you when, when I get home. So I'm walking at night and texting at the same time. And someone had decided to cut down a very old tree and leave that tree halfway across the sidewalk. You see where this is going. I'm walking and texting in the dark. I walk pretty fast, and I hit that thing like I've hit a house, and it completely bends me over, and I hit my head on the sidewalk, and I'm in excruciating pain, just like that. I went from being happy to being suffering to experiencing suffering. And I remember thinking to myself, get up. You have to get up. You cannot be here in the morning. <laughs> no one will understand that. But I went from a place of happiness to a place of unsuspected, unexpected suffering. The second thing that can rob your happiness are cranky people. I mean, we really could probably just say people, but I'm going to use cranky so that it makes everybody feel okay. We all know these people, don't we? I don't know about you, but the most consistent circumstance that steals my happiness is being in the presence of cranky people. The Bible refers to this as grumbling. And the Bible instructs us not to grumble. But there is a lot of grumbling in this world, is there not? In fact, I would say that it's a chronic human condition, a condition that not only affects the one doing it, but also the one that's hearing it. Stanford University did a study on the impact of complaining. 
And the study showed that being exposed to 30 minutes of complaining every day is actually damaging to your brain. It damages the neurons in a part of the brain used for problem solving and cognitive functioning by peeling back the neurons in those areas. And if that doesn't sound damaging enough, the study showed that complaining also zaps physical energy from the person on the listening end. Have you ever been in a meeting that was more about complaining than it was actionable solutions? It's exhausting. Well, now you know, when you're listening to someone complain, that it's actually causing brain damage. So tell them that. You have to stop, because you're causing me to have brain damage. The third thing that it will instantaneously rob you of your happiness is extreme stress. You see, stress puts pressure on our lives and makes it very difficult to experience happiness. It impacts our thinking, and it alters our perspective. And as a result, it makes it very difficult to be happy. Well, this morning, if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the chair in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, steal one of ours. We'd love for you to have it. But this morning, we're going to spend some time in Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going, to ch- I'm going to prove to you that it's okay to be happy. We're going to start in verse 18, but I want to catch you up a little bit. Paul who is the author of much of the New Testament, is writing the letter, Philippians, to the church at Philippi. It's a church that he started, that he loves, that's filled with people he knows and cares about. And he's writing to them to encourage them to hold on. But he's writing them from jail. And at this point in his life, he's experienced a lot of jail time. He's been in jail a lot. But here, in this moment, he's in Caesar's jail, and he's chained to a guard 24 hours a day. Now, pause and imagine what being chained to another person is like 24 hours a day for two years. And that's where we find Philippians being written. So let's look at it. Let's look at verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul is saying that everything that has happened to me all the jail time, being shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, everything that has happened to me has served to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul had big plans. Paul was going to go to Rome. He was going to preach to lots of people. But God had a different plan for Paul's life. He stuck him in a jail cell, changed to guards, For two years. But while in jail, Paul uses every moment to tell people about Jesus. He uses every breath to expose them to his faith. In fact, in verse 13, Paul says, The entire palace guard has been exposed to the gospel 
Thousands of guards cycled in and out of being chained to Paul. He had a captive audience, and he used that moment to tell them why he was in jail and who he believed in. And even later in chapter 4 of Philippians, we learn that the gospel reached deep into Caesar's family as many of them became followers of Jesus. Paul can't stop thinking about it, can't stop talking about Jesus. He's sharing the good news with everyone he comes in contact with. And as a result, Paul is advancing the kingdom of God one life at a time. You see, Paul had a plan, but God had another. And what Paul is teaching us about happiness, the key for Paul in this idea of happiness is this. We need to see our circumstances the way God intended them. When pain and stress and cranky people, when our circumstances conspire to steal our happiness, we have a choice. We can blame or we can complain or we can see them as the opportunities that God intended them to be. And something really interesting happens when God's people, in the face of overwhelming circumstances, choose to see them as God intended them to be seen, lives are changed. When the world around us sees us respond to tragedy and pain and difficulties and all kinds of bad circumstances with joy and happiness, people notice that. Paul's response to difficult circumstances, his responses was drawing people to Jesus and it was encouraging those who already believe. Paul is choosing to be happy and as a result, he's changing lives. Eleven days ago, I stood in this exact spot and said goodbye to one of my closest friends. And as I stood here fighting back my own tears in front of a room filled with people, I had a choice. I could be angry at God. I could be bitter. I had a choice. Or was I going to be filled with joy because my friend was in a better place? Not my plan, but it was God's plan. And for two hours, we celebrated a life, a life that ended way too soon. But even in his darkest moments, reflected Jesus to everyone that was around him. And from start to finish, that service was a witness to the unbeliever of the goodness of God, but it was also an encouragement to those who already believe as to the goodness of God. Hundreds of people heard the gospel clearly presented. And only God knows the rippling impact of that service and his life. And in death, as in his life, my friend Dave pointed people to Jesus. And in that moment, and in, this, in the moments following, Paul's words have never rung more true. Whatever has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You see, if we view our present reality, our circumstances in in life the way God intended them, we can rejoice and we can be happy. Now look at verse 15 through 18.
It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of a goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. See, Paul understood that his circumstances were different. And he wanted to view them as God viewed them. But he also knew that there were people in his life that were trying to drag him down. And he's describing in these verses two types of people. There are those who preach the gospel out of envy and rivalry and those who preach the gospel out of love. love. There are two forces at work. And in Paul's life, in this moment, there were those who, in the name of Jesus, were out there preaching against Paul, who were using their pulpit and their opportunity to tear Paul's ministry down. They were criticizing him. They were bent on destroying his ministry. They gossiped about him. They tore him down. Paul is in prison, and they leveraged his current reality for their own selfish gain. This phrase that's used here in the, in the NIV translation of the Bible, the phrase envy and rivalry, in other translations, the phrase is replaced with jealous and quarrelsome. It is describing people who love to argue and complain. And too often, these people, like in Paul's circumstances, do it in the name of Jesus. In this era of social media, these type of people are everywhere. You don't have to look too hard to find a critical spirit of complaining. Just look to the internet or Facebook or blogs or Twitter. So many people quick to judge, to tear down someone else's viewpoint or ministry. And and this is true in the world of church as well. Otherwise well-intentioned people sit in the relative safety of anonymity and they stir up trouble through gossip and critical spirit and they tear down rather than build up. They talk more about the things they are against than the things that they are for. Or maybe this person exists in your workplace. They're quick to share their concerns and their complaints with little effort given to making things better. Or maybe there's someone in your family who fits that description. But there are a few things that will cause you to lose your happiness faster than being in the presence of or being the target of cranky, critical people. Criticism hurts, and it makes it very difficult to be happy to experience joy. And that is what Paul is experiencing in prison. But he then he says, there's another group of people, and those are the people that do it out of love. And so Paul gives us some advice. The another key to experiencing happiness, and that is this. We only need to please one person, and that's God. You see, you're never going to please everyone. Not everyone's going to like you. We only need to please one person, and that's God. And as a result, those who seek to tear you down, leverage your difficulty for their own selfish gain, will have zero authority, zero impact in your life. No influence over your happiness. 
And then Paul describes the other half. Those are his friends. He says, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. These are his friends. They're not talking bad about him. They recognize that he's in jail because of his proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And they love him and they care about him. These are his friends. Friendship is important. Surrounding yourself with people who give you life and who encourage you and who make you better, it's important. And I want to step on a soapbox just for a minute because if you don't have a friend, I want to encourage you to keep looking. You need to find people in your life who will make you better. We need to fill our lives with these kinds of people. And we need to push out of our lives those people who literally suck the life out of you. If you surround yourself with people who whine and complain and argue all the time, you will eventually be as miserable as they are because it's contagious. But if you fill your life with people who love you and care for you and want the best for you, people who because of their own example make you better, that's where happiness can be found. And I know this is hard because it requires putting yourself out there a little bit. It's hard because we live in a fallen, broken world. And people, quite frankly, are weird. <laughs> but you cannot, you must not give up. If you don't have at least one friend that meets the description that I just gave, keep looking. And while you're looking, take the time to extricate yourself from those other relationships that are dragging you down. Look at Paul's response here in verse 18 to cranky people. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached. And because of this, I rejoice. What does it matter? Another way to look at that is to say that they don't matter. What truly matters, the only thing that matters is that Christ is being preached, that the good news is being proclaimed. And because of that, I will continue to be happy. I will rejoice. There may be people who talk about me, conspire against me, gossip about me, but they don't matter because I'm going to focus on one Christ, the only person that matters, and I'm going to choose to be happy. So Paul's in prison. He's choosing to see his circumstances the way God sees them, and he's choosing to not let other people steal his happiness. And then finally in verse 19, he gives us another key to happiness. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's saying, I will continue to be happy. They've taken everything away from me, but they cannot take away my happiness. I will continue to rejoice. How, how, Paul, are you doing that? Because he knew the very thing that we all should know whether you're new to this idea of Christianity or whether you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for years, we all need to hear the reminder, this last key to happiness. We must trust that everything works out for the glory of God. Paul knew that in Christ, everything that has happened to him would work out for his deliverance. And that truth is the same today as it was then. 
It is as critical to our lives today as it was to Paul. Deliverance in this case is God's plan for Paul that was ultimately designed to bring God glory, not Paul. And that plan is the same for us. Look at the next six verses. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn because I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that enough, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. You see, Paul's purpose in life, his deliverance, was about other people. Whether I live or die, God will be glorified. He's saying, yes, on the service, it might be better for me to get out of this jail cell and go be with my heavenly Father, but I can't. It's not time for me. And I'm going to be here so that I can keep working and so that Jesus will abound. You see, in, in order to experience true happiness... We've got to believe that all things will work out for His glory. Not your plans, but God's plans. In fact, you, in fact, have to get out of the way. It was not Paul's plan to be in prison, but whatever crisis, problem, irritation is present in your life today, that isn't your plan either. And what you need to recognize is that the end, if you let God's plan play out, He will be glorified and you will be delivered. You see, Paul's plan, God's plan for Paul, has always been about others. He lives so that others can find Jesus. And when our lives stop being about us, and we commit them to bringing God glory, that is where true happiness can be experienced. A happiness that can never be stolen, can never be taken away, can never be forgotten. The reason most people in the world are miserable, I believe this with everything in my soul, is because they bought into the lie that happiness is about them. It isn't. It's about bringing God glory. And we bring God glory when our lives are focused on other people. It isn't about being right. It's not about getting more. It's about sacrifice. It's about pouring out your life. We must decrease so he can increase. And then Paul sums up the entire thing in verse 21 when he says, For me, to live is Christ and to die as gain. For me to live is what? That's what it's about. It's not about you. It's about Christ. If your life is about gaining more and not about giving away more, you're going to be miserable. If your life is about Christ, you have a really great chance of being truly happy. And so as we end this morning, I want you to think about that question. For me to live is fill in the blank. What is it for you? For me to live is 
If it isn't anything other than Christ, then you're missing the boat entirely. If you fill that line with stuff or people or jobs, bank accounts, hobbies, sports, whatever you fill that line with, if it is anything other than Christ, then your shot at happiness, your shot at rejoicing is slim. And I could have spent my time with you this morning telling you countless stories of people who chose to be happy and life was beautiful. I mean, there are those stories, but it isn't about that. It isn't about that. It's about experiencing and bringing glory to God. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the incredible opportunity that you give us each and every week, each and every moment of the day to sit in your presence. And God, I pray this morning that you would give us the courage to bring you honor and glory, that we would see our circumstances the way you see them, and that we would not allow people to be our motivation, but that we would be focused upon you. Give us the courage and the strength and the ability to do those things. And I promise when it's said and done, we're going to bring glory to you. And even in this moment where we pause and remember the sacrifice that you made on the cross, we give you thanks for that. And it is out of that that we can experience and rejoice, experience joy and rejoice. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Father, we thank you for your son and for the sacrifice of his life so that we could live a life of abundance. Remind us today as we leave this place, remind us of all that we have to be thankful for. And give us a sense of your presence. And out of that, may we be happy. May we be filled with joy that will not ever go away regardless of our circumstances. And as your church leaves the building, we pray that your grace and your mercy would abound in and through all of us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, have a great week. We'll see you next week.